0: and welcome back to BreachBurn Podcasts. We're having an emergency session today because GG3 dropped and know that everyone is desperate for, for takes on it. Uh, we have not done most of these ourselves, so uh, they'll be accurate, they'll be inaccurate, but they will be hot takes. So um, yeah, let's just start at the top of the document and kind of go through some of the uh, kind of minor changes in the general play sets. Um, what were some that you guys noticed?
1: Well, I uh, really like the um, the limited one where you basically you get four slots. And um, if you're choosing versatile models, depending on their cost, they take one or two slots or any out of keyword models uh, take up two slots. So... Um, If you play that format you know kind of eliminates that super friends list where they're just bringing all the the good stuff so i know some people probably won't like it because you know (laughs) it limits you on the toys you can bring but um maybe especially like in the organized formats that you have maybe a lot of new people who are playing and kind of tone it down from them facing people who are more experienced who know the meta a little bit better you can kind of uh, really tone it down on uh, what uh, the new people will face, and be keep it more uh, in theme. So I, I really enjoy that. Again, like I said, most people may not because limit your toys, but I think it's an excellent uh, addition to the document.
2: It it, it keeps. I want to say it keeps things more fair. You you can't just take the best of list anymore if if you run that one, so you can't just pick all the stuff that also specifically curb stomps a certain keyword so it will stop also things that oh you are buried I'm guild I'm going to take every single thing that I have you know I'm going to sub it in just to kill you now because I know it will I think it's a great way and I I would actually love to see this played a lot in my opinion because it leaves enough room to tech in things but also you can't super friends with yoko or lynch or a few others that are out there
3: i do think this brings a certain level of uh just as the name implies limiting factors that uh in my opinion limitations like this oftentimes breed creativity so um it's it's a great way to help us avoid those same z lists that everybody ends up seeing all the time um and It'd be kind of neat to see this mixed with bans at some point, just uh, for funsies. But with that said, though, um, RIP Molly 2, because her best list is that double-hanged list, and now that can't be used if you're playing limited. So thanks, Weird. Another Well, reason you wouldn't not play, to play it in bans either,
2: because <sighs> you're going to ban knowing Molly 2. You're going to ban their keyword, begin with, which is now bans x... So you can ban multiple Hmm. keywords if your TO is running at that. Nice segue. (laughs) (laughs) It's like I was trying to hit off what you were saying. There you go. (laughs)
3: Um, They also added um, the allied game format, which is just a... Mm -hmm. uh, That is a mixture of limited and singles. So if you hate the idea of playing limited because it doesn't limit people's abilities to abuse double masters well allied is the one for you
2: Uh, i think the only one else that i was looking through was the classic mode which depending on what you're doing could mean that uh you're seeing that dead man's hand will always be dead man's hand but it just says when choosing leaders and hiring models, players may ignore the Dead Man's Hand designation on cards, so you can play anything you want. It allows you to, to finally make it into a tournament if they play the classic format.
1: Cool. Cool. Yeah, I mean I don't see that happening at any tournaments, but it is an option now. I've heard of it out there that people have allowed Dead Man's Hand.
0: I mean, technically, I allowed it for all the tournaments I ran to a point, but uh, nobody played it, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> well,
2: Playing some Claudia of those are very douchey, so yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah,
3: it's understandable. So then there was the uh, the the hidden information
2: addition yes. to the uh, to the document. Secretly chosen info. There it is. Uh, I'll actually read this because I got it in front of us. Uh, when an effect has a player secretly choose information, such as a model, terrain, etc., all relevant information must be noted by that player so that it may be referenced at a later time. Information that is noted at the beginning of the game is still noted after deployment during start of game. So big hints is secretly chosen stuff is after deployment for all those schemes that you have to uh, write down things to track or when we get to it, the new strategy where there's secretly chosen invo. It's all done after deployment.
3: So you mean I can can take Vendetta and I can avoid my opponent placing my, my target on the clear opposite side of the table now?
2: It's a much better option as long as you give yourself enough targets. (laughs) <laughs> I yeah. still
3: hate vendetta but that does help the scheme a bit
0: mm-hmm. um, yeah for sure
3: um
0: are there others <clears throat> that it would have a heavy effect on you do you guys think
2: offhand um there was hid martyrs technically is hidden info it I don't know how much it'll actually affect it But pretty much Vendetta is what I'm all I can think of. Uh, Catch
1: and release, I think it would help with. That way, you can choose your minion, and Hmm. if they only have like maybe one henchman, and you don't want to get it near their master, you can make sure again that you don't have that henchman. Is it clear on the other side of the board from the minion you pick? You can choose a different minion. Mm -hmm. than maybe you were originally planning if you don't want to try and run your minion clear to the other side of the board.
2: Oh, Mm -hmm. and there are two new schemes that we'll talk about when we get to them uh, that we can bring this back up again um, that have secretly chosen info. So when we get there,
1: we can touch on it. Are you saying that we might have a secret meetup later on in this uh, (laughs) podcast? I don't think I'll ever have a secret meetup, but we can still talk about
2: it. (laughs) All right. I think they
3: added a shout-out to Bonanza Brawl.
2: That they did. And hey. a whole thing at Gen Con for it. So, community, go. Yeah,
1: that's that, is, awesome. that is just awesome.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I have yet to but, play it yet, but I, I want to give it a try here uh, sooner rather than later.
2: Uh, Alright, so are we diving into the strategies then? Oh, our one, next part? one
3: more thing. there. Um, just as a note, there is no actual changes to summoned models, so all the restrictions that were implemented last GG are still relevant now.
2: <laughs> yes, which may come up in some of these strategies.
1: It, it matters a lot. <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> well, we'll find out soon.
0: Alright, well, the first strategy, uh, and it looks like they're all new, basically, and then Guard the Stash is an old one. Um, But yeah, let's just start off with Curse Objects. Basically, go back and forth, passing off curses, and
2: then when an enemy with a curse dies, you get a point. There, there is a lot to these so hopefully if you're listening you may <laughs> want to have something to read because there is a lot of text in some of these yeah i'm trying to just
0: boil it down a bit here but
2: uh yeah that's kind of the long and short of
0: it it's kind of a kill strategy but enabling kind of some like ping damage and hazardous damage being able to score as well
1: um I like the fact that you can, uh, if you have a cursed object on one of your models, you can do an interact to pass it to an enemy model and then whack it <laughs> to score your point. Um, I also do like the fact that they have, if a model dies while buried, they have a clause in here that will cover that too. So uh, uh, glad that's in there so we don't have to uh, worry about that if uh, that clause had not been put in there don't have curses uh, just vanishing into the void for no good reason Yep, or Mm -hmm. you know you bury your own models so they can't be killed and now uh, uh, you know and it's not like carrying the
2: lodestone where you just can't bury you can still bury models with these objects and they still have it and they just reappear with it later yeah I don't think any kinds of restrictions like that were in here
0: but I guess we'll find
2: out. Well. Say it's, it's actually... I mean, it's like Claim the Bounty, but much more thought out in terms of scoring and eliminate some of the jank that used to happen with reducing costs of models before you would actually kill it. Uh, because no matter what, when you kill that model, it's still worth the same amount as if it was a 10 cost or a 7 cost or whatever. Yeah. It still had that curse on it, and it still counts for one point. This, so, is,
3: this is probably the, the strategy I have the most... I guess, trepidation towards, mainly because all of the dedicated kill strats we've had in the past have always been my least favorite part of a GG packet. Um, I just, I've never found them to be horribly interesting from a gameplay standpoint. Um, hopefully this one doesn't have some of the absolutely broken interactions that we've seen in in previous ones, like like was mentioned with uh, with Bounties and Leviticus and all of his, like, replacing models so you could effectively bring
1: massive models and then it wouldn't negatively affect you all that much so so it on that then if you do have a model that uh replaces into another model would it get the curse token or does the curse token go away and you score the point for that so i believe it would get the token
3: i mean yeah when a model replaces, it receives all like tokens and conditions yeah, and such. That's, so. that's
1: where I was figuring, about I just wanted to touch on that real quick. So, it's still, the jank's still there, but uh, it's less jank. Yep,
2: yeah, it, it doesn't, the points aren't based on how that model originally was, because a lot of those replaces, like with the Corphy duet and stuff that had these, those issues, you would get, like, no points, basically, comparatively. Uh, from, instead of scoring three points and adding that up, you get the same amount no matter when you kill it. And um, so I think it does stop some of that, but yeah, antiemies and hard or er, replace and hard to kill are still amazing for this because it just stops your model from dying. Uh-huh. Any super elite thing's gonna be great if it's super hard to kill.
1: Yeah, that's how I see this going. Is uh, we're gonna see uh, the the elite crews. Uh, big yeah. jake
2: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. you can't kill buried models I'm going to take big jake and hopefully well I guess you should. we should note that you get to choose which of your opponent's models get the tokens to begin with Yep. Mm-hmm. so if you see big jake on the other side and you can't hit buried models you don't have to choose him because he will just bury and then you'll never be able to claim that <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: unless they can take only five significant models True. It's I mean, not they're super easy to do necessarily.
1: Well, no, because you can put on uh, nine minions, you can put two. Oh, yeah, that's true. So, and it doesn't, avoid, uh, the... if I'm reading this right, I don't see anything on there about not putting it on the master either. Nope, masters can get these as far as I saw. Yep. Yeah. And I think this is the one strategy or a strategy that you probably will not see summoners in since summon models also get a curse token. So that it's, is... Yeah, it's the only way to bring extra curses into the game. Yep. I know,
2: poor Asami, all my lovely Flicker models would come in, and it just says when they're killed. So if I Flicker it out and kill it, it still counts. So you can't
1: kill your own models to get rid of this. Yep. Uh, You'll, the opponent never see... can still... <laughs> You'll never see Karai 2 in this one. All those four-point yeah. models that she summons, never see Karai 2 in this.
3: Yeah, I, I think Karai 2 is probably the... the... The master and crew that is just absolutely a, a no go here. You will never, I would never suggest bringing that master in this in this strategy.
1: Well, Sommer too, uh, or Somer, the master. I don't, I'm not real familiar with him, but all his bio gremlins you can bring in. Yeah, you're probably not going to see that either. Are they significant?
2: It They're doesn't it doesn't say that. It just says when models are summoned. Oh, it's true. It does just say that and it's not the model that matters for the well, kill it's it's the actual token that you remove off of it
3: i think that's more of a matter we would have to double check the actual rule on insignificant because if it's entirely
2: ignored for strategies
3: you just wouldn't put a token on it it's as if it doesn't exist for the sake of the strategy
2: And normally I'd
3: agree with you, Zach, but this is the Hot Takes episode, so we're going to (laughs) say
0: that it's a fact.
2: I'd say that would make a big difference, because (laughs) if it doesn't, things like Hamlin summoning rats, you wouldn't ever see (laughs) Hamlin. Yeah.
0: And you may do it, too, so if... I don't know. I do see kind of a counterplay where if you're summoning things that you can make interact to throw it onto an enemy, that could be something but there is the, the
2: maximum still so like minions can only ever have one on them and non minions only can never have two so yeah. i mean if you already have a, an elite crew or something and you only have five models that really have markers they can't throw any more on you yeah and you don't really need more than five necessarily uh, that's true very true the other thing i thought of is if your opponent mistakenly chooses like something easy to kill like a tengu and they put it on there from the beginning and you can just take that tengu and then run it into your own like far back left corner and say come and get me you'll never score this unless you can dive really deep I don't mind spending four points to basically deny you points off the get go
0: Well, I guess uh, let's move on then. We'll just keep doing the new ones. So path. kind of
2: seems like a mixed-up version of Break the Line to me. (coughs) I've seen it as some older players might think of Supply Wagons, um, which I know, James, I don't think you ever played... But uh, I actually it,
0: did, and I've always wanted to come back because I, the savages would be absolutely beasts at that because they're all fifty mils. But
2: what can I do? I think that's the closest thing I could think of if you played that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so the basic is each team, so each player would have two of their own strategy markers that are friendly to them, and to score, you have to get those into your opponent's half of the board and preferably into the deployments zone where they're worth more points and you can move your own by an interact action six inches and your opponent's four they don't stop when they hit models and they don't stop unless basically they hit impassable terrain or impassable markers they also remove any markers i believe if i read that right
1: correct Anything, so all anything. those
2: pyre markers, corpse markers, scheme markers, anything that they come in contact with marker-wise goes poof unless it was impassable.
0: It does stop it, though, so you lose some movement there. But still pretty nice, potentially.
1: I think the uh, the hot take on this one is the markers are only concealing. And they're 30 mil because it doesn't say otherwise. So all those 50 mil markers, you could park your models on top of your opponent's strategy markers and then they won't be able to move them. Time to get out them, uh, them big boys.
2: Yeah. Well, you only have to be within one inch of it, so I think you could be near it enough to see it.
1: Okay, okay. Maybe, yeah. And, oh, and it doesn't strategy. stop
2: you because um, <laughs> it literally says in here, I believe, that uh, you can take the interact even when engaged. Yeah. You can take this specific interact action even if you're engaged by things, so extra reach and stuff don't help you. As long as you can't body block something, they can move it.
3: I'd just say if you stand on top of it with a bigger bigger base, wouldn't you just block line of sight so they can't interact to move it? Mm -hmm. Does within Within need line of sight?
1: No. I I would yeah, I would say as long as like if you're a fifty mil and you stand on it and you have the edge of it at the far side, as long as they're not on the other side of you. And that they would still be able to do it even without being able to see it. Damn it. There goes my strategy. Yeah.
2: <laughs> As I said, it seems good. Bring all those savages
1: and just sit on top of your own marker. But Yeah, uh, yeah I was thinking, you know, Matures and uh, the Noxious Nephilim would have a use. <laughs>
2: I'll say, this one to me just screamed lots of AP. I don't need to kill you, but if I can... And just immediately sacrifice things so this is one where summoning does still doesn't help but like asami i can bring tengu for like no cost katashiro for no cost if i can push my stuff turn one all the way to your back two corners i don't care if they die after that it's going to be hard for you to get
1: them all the way back to my side out of scoring yeah this, it seems like it'd be very similar to uh break the line Cruise, where you can take two interacts in one activation so Fly with me, ride with me's, uh, anything that can move your model and still allow you to interact twice in one turn or one activation seems to be the way to go. So very, very similar to break the line, but uh, it, I think it's going to take it more AP, especially in corners. Moving it all the way into their deployment zone in corners is really going to be AP intensive.
3: And honestly, moving it early on is required anyways because if you just let it sit in your backfield, you're going to let your opponent score points.
1: Yep. Yeah, Interesting, it's only going to take two Interacts on standard to get it across the middle line. Well, Pretty much any part
2: because you only have to have it 10 inches back at the start, so two Interacts on their friendly can push it 12 inches.
0: Yeah, and I think the 6 inch push instead of the typical 3 or 4 might really throw off the math on some things because like, break the line uh, fly with me is good enough but for, for this... I mean, you can push it less than six inches, but yeah,
1: and and true. There's depending again, depending on the terrain, you may not even be able to push it six inches. You might have to push it three, and it runs into a rock or a building, and then you gotta move it around it, stuff like that. So, positioning those strategy markers are gonna be key. Yeah, it is a push there.
2: I was gonna say positioning of the those impassable markers that you can drop, uh, ice pillars, for instance, uh, and. What's the piano markers? Those could be key. Euripides 1 can drop so many ice pillars that, yeah, it does stop it after that push when it hits it and that ice pillar goes away. But how many of those can you put in the way to reduce your ability to move it around that map? It
1: says if it runs into a non-strategy marker, that it removes the marker and the push continues.
0: If you never get to it, though,
1: then you can't move it.
0: We'll like, if you true. completely block them from oh, I even I getting think I to it all.
2: So, yeah. so it would be
0: tough, but if, if they did true. get through, they would just destroy it all.
2: <laughs> I read that wrong. I thought uh, even
1: Impassable Terrain Marker stopped it. Nope. No, you but, just
2: push it through all those uh, ice yeah. pillars and destroy them are But you're, you're right.
1: If they push it and then you drop the ice markers or pianos in front of it so that they have to walk all the way around it
2: mm-hmm. or
1: destroy it, yeah, that would be... That would so, be uh, doable. I mean, it'd be hard, but it, doable.
3: Yeah. <laughs> so Cursed Objects is the anti-summoning strategy. Carve the Path is the anti-Marker Crew strategy. Yep. Because if you were to drop something like Sonya or Karis or whoever in here, dump Revenue. a bunch of, yeah, dump a bunch of your pyres or what have you up there, you very well could be just shoving shoving these things through your own markers and just completely
1: wiping them from existence yep. i just started playing titania too and uh, this this makes me cry with all my uh, um, undergrowth markers will be disappearing
3: i think yeah. it's a really
1: cool interaction though having having the
3: strategy affect markers in that sort of way
0: yeah i mean it makes things that don't have any marker removal like <clears throat> certain factions Actually like kind of stand a chance in this one. Especially if the they're especially
3: if they're speedy. If they're really speedy too. I mean mm-hmm. I think I think leaps are gonna be king in this because a leap is guaranteed gonna be allow you to interact, leap, interact again. Um, like the whole six inch thing doesn't even matter at that point. Um,
2: and remember when you're pushing opponent stuff you can only push up to four. Right. So there is an A P yep. advantage to you offensively pushing your own stuff. hmm
3: Also sure. In an interesting sort of turn of events, with this, this really, really screws with any sort of marker-based scheme. Like mm-hmm. anything that requires oh. you, yeah, spread anything that them re-
2: out. Still in here, breakthrough. Still in here, mm-hmm. you can screw yourself over by having to push that in and getting rid of your own scheme markers. And, there, and there's,
3: yeah, there's, there's a few new schemes as well that require a, a, a metric buttload of, of markers. That this, you could literally just denier oh Oh, jesus i
2: would not take that ever in this one now
1: so would you say you could (laughs) carve a path through your opponent's markers Mm -hmm. okay or your own (laughs) can can we boot him off now (laughs) uh you're hurting my soul you're hurting my soul dad jokes well i am a dad so you know it goes along with uh the territory No, that, that's a really interesting just interaction on
3: how that affects the board state I, I don't think we've had a, a strategy that you could actually through through playing the strategy affect the board state in that that much of a of a way
2: mm-hmm. oh yeah that I' overall we're gonna get to the other two but I've really enjoyed the variety that I've read about in terms of play styles in these strategies mm-hmm
0: yeah, I think just the last thing I had on Carve is that you get two points if it's in the opposing player's deployment zone. So this is going to be one of those where deployment zones are actually pretty huge. Uh,
2: oh, that's right. Corner is going to be a lot harder to get the, the extra points for. Yeah, like flank. flank is going to be
0: like easy, you know, yeah. that sort of thing.
2: Wedge is still decently
1: easy because that front tip is so close. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, and, and I don't think it says holy within. So as long as you get a one little part of it on there, just the tip. Yep. <laughs> yep.
3: Good stuff.
0: Uh, while well, we were doing the new stuff, but covert hurts my brain. So let's just guide the stash real quick here. Um, I don't. I feel like I played this one maybe when I was first <laughs> starting out in Malphoe, but,
1: um, yeah, but
0: basically. There, there was
1: a version of this, uh, not nearly as involved as this. It's basically two fifty mil markers on the middle line, and you had to have, I believe, it was two models or one model by each of the markers to score Cut. it at each turn. But uh, yeah, this is uh, same name, much different. much okay. more difficult.
3: W- was that from uh, second edition?
1: Yeah, that was second edition
3: for sure. Okay, yeah but this uh this one is uh pretty interesting in the sake that uh deployment zones really affect it um it's all it's the it's the shortest one so we could probably just go through that first bit real quick though so it says after deployment zones are chosen drop two strategy markers centered on the center line each four inches to the right and left of the center plate um respectively then drop A strategy marker centered on the center uh, of each table quarter so those are the same quarters that you use for like turf war and whatnot correct so in a straight in in your in your standard deployment or in your wedge deployment you're going to have two markers on the center line and then two in each player's backfield so in order to score this you have to have control of markers that are not entirely on your table half So, in order to score in this specific, uh, in in that deployment, you need to take the two in the middle and the two in the back of your opponent's side. However, when you go to a diagonal deployment, what is it? Four of them?
2: Yeah, four and one. So, four on the center line and one in the backfield.
3: Which completely and totally changes the entire feel of the strategy. Hmm. Like, like, I feel like your your standard deployment, your straight up deployment, is like super well tuned towards like bubble crews and anti bubble crews, where there's going to be a massive fight right in the middle of the board, with things sh- trying to shoot past to get the ones in the back, while in the diagonal deployment, it's spread out evenly almost across the the entirety of the board, with only one in the backfield.
2: Yeah, I was actually. I almost agreed with you till I was looking at it and playing around with a map earlier today and looking at things because so many are on the center line with the diagonal stuff. I just feel like it's even if you have a bubble crew, you can kind of pick just towards a little bit to the left and still control like three of the markers while in the straight, when there's too farther back, if you have anything that can dive, uh, you can actually just bypass or flank around to go control those and spread the battle out if you're mm-hmm. playing it right. You can get around <laughs> those bubble crews and make it harder for them to to stop you. So I think the bigger battle is probably the diagonal.
3: I don't know cuz like I the the ones in the backfield versus the middle on the straight up deployment aren't that far away from each other all things considered. So it's like sure well, you, you like you you'd have to dive pretty far to get to the backfield ones, but once you're already in the center Getting to either end isn't all that difficult in my opinion
1: well and two is diving to the ones in back I mean assuming you can control the ones in the middle on standard or wedge you don't have to get to the ones in back till turns turn four and turn five so even if you are a slower crew you still have plenty of time to get to those back ones so I think it, it if you impressive. have enough models left <laughs> that is true if you have enough models left this is one of those that In order to score all four points
2: on the fifth turn of the game, you have to have four models in four very specific locations on the board. Yep. And have not and your opponent not have four models to contest you.
1: Yep. I think this is to be an interesting one on, on how much defense and offense you wanna play on this one. Kinda like uh symbols. I mean do you keep models back to guard your symbols or do you just send everyone forward and And do that. So I think this is going to be a very interesting mix on how you are going to play it. Are you just going to go all offense and try and kill their models as you pass each other by to keep them from your the back ones, or you know, do you have some models back? Do you have some models forward? How how that's going to be very. I mean, I'm just going to
2: say that I know we've talked about that cursed objects, Zach. You said that was the kill strategy. I'm going to call it right now that guard the stash is the kill strategy. (laughs) Because you have to, in order to get this one, you have to have more models, basically, than your opponent. I've, I've looked at this and thinking, oh, if I have Asami, I'm going to keep going back to her. I have all these low-cost models that can get around and flank over there. And if I, all you do to control, so I guess we should mention that, to control a strategy marker, you just have to have more significant models within two inches of that than your opponent. You don't have to interact it. You just have to, at the end of the turn, have more of your significant models, non-summons, close to that. But if your opponent's all dead, it's way easier to score this than contesting because if you're equal, no one scores it. And so those fighting crews, that mosh pit in the middle, it's easy to end up missing those if you're not taking your opponent off the board.
3: So just just uh, on that point, though, like when I called Cursed Objects to kill Stret, it was in reference to scoring is literally derived f- from killing. <laughs> but I agree that I think th- this is going to be one of those strategies where it's either going to be an absolute grindfest slog or it's going to be a grindfest slog that turns into a steamroll. Because once that, that tilts, I think it, it just falls apart and it, it like depending on when that happens in the in the fight, will determine the, the winner of the game.
2: And and honestly, if you get really interesting board states where some of these markers have, you know, those buildings or impassable terrains in between them is when this actually gets really cool and fun to play. I where agree. you have to make decisions and you have to split things up so those bubble crews can't just destroy one another. Because at least with cursed objects, you kind of have to con- Troll, you're killing because you have to kill a model every turn unless you've completely wiped them off the board. So you can't just kill wipe, there's more chance to scheme and stuff in between. With this one, if I can wipe you turn one, I can guarantee myself four points. <laughs> I can play the Neverborn, kill you, and then score.
3: I'm about to say, I think Nephilim are going to absolutely adore this. God. They're they're so quick, like like especially with like those those middle markers, like they're so close to each other and they're so big that like oh yeah you get up there you get everybody all all caught up in a big old scrum and just bleed all over everything. It's I, I think the Nephilim are absolutely going to adore this strategy.
1: Well, I think that what a crew what a will adore. That I completely agree with you on that one. But our models or crews that can move either your models. Or your opponent's models out of activation. Oh, you have two models there. Um, let's say, oh, scatter. I will move my uh, insidious madness up there. I scatter your models away. I have control of that. End of the turn. I score it. You don't screw you. Uh,
2: things also. I think, thanks for bringing that up. Deadly pursuit uh, comes into play with I think this and that one because the way scoring works, you I believe, and I this is hot take, not looking into it yet. You would get to move your model. Before the scoring part would happen. So that four inch push, you could get back into position or move like those center ones are only so far. If you're in the very corner, let's with like um, a 30 or 40 mil model that can barely be within two of one and then push four inches towards the other. I think that puts you in and switches the whole thing up and like, oh, I'm going to go over here. Yep, yeah, I think the, there's enough room.
1: Yeah, Deadly Pursuit would go off before the scoring.
2: But things like that definitely I think Scott has a big thing. And I also I, shenanigans.
3: I'd be remiss if I didn't point this out. Um I think this is a strategy that Jack Dahl absolutely loves. I think Jack Daw has has not had very many situations where he's been <laughs> a strong choice because I've always said that if if you can if you if the pool allows you to ignore jack daw's existence then don't bring jack daw i think this is a i think this is a strategy where it's very difficult for you not to be able to interact with him and his crew and what they're trying to do so i think this is a very much a, a strategy where i think jack daw may finally actually have a place plus to your point about uh, being able to move models daw 2 has the ability to run through people and then force tests on them to then place them. So Daw too could, in the midst of his his big old uh, bubble nonsense, could rip people away from things. He can shift people, run up behind them, suck enemies towards him, away from the markers, all while just eating them alive, basically. I think this is a very strong contender for him.
2: Yeah, I gonna say guard the stash. You know where the fights are going to be. I mean, there's only so many spots on the map where you're going to be unlike mm-hmm. Cursed Objects, where you technically, until you see the schemes, you don't have to fight in any particular area. You can sit in your deployment zone if you have schemes that allow you to, but Guard <laughs> the Stash says there's these markers on the board. There's six of them. You need to control these. You need to be in certain spots for the fight.
3: Which that said, will
2: make you not be there.
3: <laughs> yes. With that said, I do think this is one of those sorts of strategies because of how it's set up, how you know where the fight's going to be. I think Pool curation is going to be extremely important with this. We're making sure that your pool doesn't just reinforce being in those places as much as
2: possible. Leave your mark, which is in this.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Like, I feel like putting leave your mark in, in this would just be dumb. Because it's just doing more. It, it, it removes the thought from it. Everybody's going to want to take it because you're going to be there anyways. So, like, I feel like like I'm always a big... It becomes a, a
2: win more scheme than an yeah, actual
3: absolutely yeah like I'm, i've always always been an advocate for for curating your pools whenever possible um for just to avoid certain overlaps like that um that's that's why you know back in gg1 having leave your mark and claim jump in the same package like
2: and cursed objects we talked about that one already
3: yeah that's yeah it's like two points right there so yeah i think i think curation is something people have are going to have to take more seriously and start paying more attention to so that we don't have these brain dead moments within our pools where our our schemes are reinforcing the strategy to the point where there isn't actually any sort of like logical thought, thought necessary more...
1: yeah yeah also I think along with one... that okay, okay go ahead <laughs> okay, uh, Guard the Stash. So could this be a pool that your girl Molly 2 might enjoy with all her uh, movement shenanigans?
3: I mean, it's it's definitely possible. <laughs> but though I, I, I get the, the, the seeping suspicion that Limited is going to be very popular. So I feel like I, I take one step forward with her and then two steps back. Um, I'm, of course, going to revisit her and give her more thoughts because her ability to move people around is great. But it's another one of those places where I just look at Shtuk two and look at, at Study of Anatomy and go, it's just better, and it does it does the exact same thing in this situation, offensively and defensively, and um, yeah, it. I could rant about that for days, but. Um, I'm also, Shtuk two can just make
2: an opponent's model insignificant, yep, which can yep. change the tide of things.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> oh, dude, I am. I am so so excited there, for- there are some right big now. winners
2: in some of these strategies which i think we're going to try to do like a deep dive into these later after we've seen them a few times but there's definitely hot take some some winners and losers when it comes to spreading out the uh, master chosen choosing, choosing the master picks for these strategies
3: and just to mm-hmm. add on that real quick um While Lo is absolutely... Yan Yanlo 2 is absolutely amazing for Carve the Path for the exact same reasons that he's absolutely amazing for Break the Line, I do not think that he is as much of a slam dunk into every one of these strategies as he was in the previous GG.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we haven't even got to one of the most complicated ones yet.
3: I just don't think his crew has the staying power necessary for some of these. That is a hot take.
2: (laughs) <laughs> Yanlo 2, not great in everything.
0: Mm, yeah. Remains to be proven. Uh, one last thing I had for Guard the Stash. Uh, it sounds like you guys are saying this is not the case, but when it says uh, that you can control a strategy marker just by having more models by something that sounded initially to me like it would be the swarm strategy, right? Where you just bring as many models as possible, just cover everything. And your opponent has to bring at least like two or three guys to even compete. Um, but if we're just going to go kill everybody right away, you know, then maybe not.
2: not I deploy. mean, Bass <laughs> and his eight clockwork traps all will be a thing. You are right. Swarms are great. But if you can eat through them fast enough with shockwaves or blasts or super killy crew. Yeah. And they do have to be significant models as well to, to contest for strategies. Yep, absolutely. so like a swarm rat swarm doesn't I mean you can body block which actually might be a thing so we'll see Hamlin's mm-hmm. 12 rats could just make you stop from <laughs> being able to get close enough to two of the markers mm-hmm.
3: I do think swarms might be a contender for this but I think you have to do it a specific way it would be very much a matter of just like you need a, a swarm that eats so much of your opponent's AP that it denies them from scoring long enough to where it doesn't matter anymore
0: things like being able to tarp it really heavy like dreamer one or something um, preventing your opponent from even crossing the board or getting close to the markers could be could be good too
3: how about, how, about, how about things like your ice pillars and coffin markers and such things where you can toss those out and try and uh, make your opponent have to run around them to even get to some of these markers
2: impassable and unbreakable uh, giant arc notes that's also <laughs> a thing.
3: <laughs> and if you, if you want to get up in there to deal with anything, you're, you're within blasting range.
2: But Yeah, definitely, because you have to get to areas. Like I said, anything control zones should be
1: good in this one. If you can well, control areas of the board. I think with the markers, you can do that, but that will depend more on terrain. If like one of the guard to stash markers is right next to a building, and... Mm-hmm anywhere around that building and they can't be within two inches then you put can put down pianos or ice pillars or you know whatever pylon mm-hmm. markers then i think you could do it but if it's just in the middle of nowhere i don't think you could get enough markers to keep a model away from being two inches within it
3: mm-hmm. yeah yeah That'd you could very much depending on the train of course yeah you could definitely use some of these markers to just remove physical space necessary for them to get within two on their side.
2: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, are we are we going down to the complicated one now? Yeah.
0: Why don't you why, why don't you smart guys
3: explain
2: this one? I don't. I
3: don't. I don't actually think it's all that bad. And it, <laughs> okay. It, 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 it reads
2: so, difficult, but once you yeah. see it, it becomes yeah, okay. a lot clearer.
3: Yeah. So, um, just just I, I I think I should probably just go and read through it and then and then try and give the layman's terms so after deployment zones are chosen drop two strategy markers centered on the center line each four inches to the right and left of the center point respectively this is just like just like guard um Then drop two more strategy markers centered on the center line, each six six inches to the left and right of where the center line meets the table edge respectively. So you get the two in the middle, you go out to the edges and then you measure six inches in from each edge. That's where the next one goes. Um, So strategy markers are height five, blocking and and impassable. After deployment, every model gains a claim token. So this is important just to start off. this is, this is something where I feel like bringing a bunch of models, significant models, is going to matter for this. And this might actually be the strategy that truly promotes not running an elite crew all the time. Yeah. But, but yes. you never know. You never know <laughs> how people end up doing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the start phase of every turn after the first, each player secretly chooses up to three models in their crew. So this is going to go back into... Kind of the secret information thing, but you're going to have to mark down your, your models. Um, so
2: Starting at turn two. So turn yes. one, you don't have to do this. Correct. Yeah.
3: At the end of each turn, each player reveals their chosen models for the turn and may remove a claim token from one of their chosen models that is not engaged by an enemy model to place that token on a strategy marker within two inches of that model then a crew gains one victory point if there are more strategy markers with friendly claim tokens than VP has gained for the strategy. So, So, starting turn two, you choose three of your models. In order to score, one of them needs to be within two inches of one of these markers and not engaged, and they get to take their token and place it on the marker, assuming that that marker does not already have a claim of yours on it. So what that how that's going to play out is if you score with a model, it cannot score the strategy again and also you can only score once per marker. So you're
2: accumulating the marker. so you've already claimed it, you need to claim a second one to get the second point, a third one to get the third point. Right. So it can't
3: be removed by your opponents right Right. Correct. So every time you score, your ability to score further gets limited because you're losing a model that can score it and you're losing a marker that can score it. Um, it's different. It's, it's weird compared to... like We've never had a strategy that did this. This
2: takes your Manos and your Desper and your Don't Mind Me, like one model that used to do symbols all by himself, and takes that off the, the table. They yeah. no longer can like one model bring be brought in to score all your strategy points.
1: Yeah, it's like streamer
3: two, so sad. <laughs> yeah, like like Ava Havenhand can't just teleport her way up there, score score all your points. So like she can do it once, but then she's gonna have to move into the backfield and start doing other things. Now
2: speaking of this, uh, these are height five blocking and impassable. So I'm not gonna say Thunders and McCabe one is broken in this when you can bring. <laughs> three hucksters which can legit legit sit in your backfield and then (laughs) blast activation teleport within two inches of these Mm -hmm. but um you do have to have multiple models yep and you do it is harder and harder um Mm -hmm. to get this i think this will be the hardest one to score four points on even well actually this this and guard the stash will be the two hardest ones to score the most points
3: there, there is two, two points I want to make with this one, specifically. Um, Two-inch melee is going to be absolutely king in this strategy. If you can get a big old model with a big old melee range up there and block off a big chunk of that area and engage a bunch of things, that's going to be a great strategy for denying things. But in the exact opposite uh, situation from Cursed Objects, this is a place where I think summoners are going to shine. Because you're summoning. All models, you have to do is
2: engage them to stop.
3: All it. you have to do is engage them. So yes, Kirai too rolling up in there, summoning a bunch of her chaff <laughs> is like, ah yes, here's my children. They're just gonna roll up and engage you, and there's gonna be a, a bajillion of them, and at that point you have to like swat away the gnats in order to do anything.
2: Um Yeah. <laughs> They don't even... <laughs> you might I, I... actually want to take Corvus Rook for a change because it has Slippery, and at least have to make them be base-to-base mm-hmm. with you.
3: But yeah, Slippery models are going to be absolutely amazing in this. All, like,
2: three of them? Um... Yes.
3: Yes, they're going to be awesome. I mean, Corvus is like a six-inch move model, too, so like he's a zippy little shit that can just walk through here and just not care.
2: But yeah, the fact that as you're playing this one... I can score with one model that takes that away from being able to score again. If my model then prioritizes or my opponent prioritizes models that have not scored yet and takes only those off the board that haven't scored the strat yet, you can easily find yourself at the end of this one with no options left to score your last point or no option because maybe you scored the two left and all your crews on the left-hand side. There's no way for your, Remaining thing to get to the right hand side to score over there. Yeah,
3: later. I was, about to, I was just about to say, not only that, it's just like, once you start scoring, your opponent now knows where you need to go to continue to do so. And they've already seen the ones you used to score previously so they can make educated guesses as to who might be, you know, tangible choices to try to score the remaining ones.
2: <laughs> oh man, it's also like going back to Asami and I have really cheap Tengu which can Sit in the backfield and fly up twice at the end of a turn for four points.
3: Yeah, so I, I definitely think this covert operation is going to be great for summoners, specifically summoners that can summon into base contact with models.
1: Thought, um... uh, yeah, summoning in base contact. So if they've got that model with the claim token, and let's say Pandora Two gives you stun and then summons a uh, a version, even better uh you've already gone and now i uh scatter you away from the target or a sorrow and now i'm in base contact and engaging already now you can't score it so yeah that would be uh really good um i wanted to touch on a bit i know we talked about this before we started recording is i think tournament wise only i think this one kind of scares me a little bit just because of so much bookkeeping per turn and i know we had said that uh um probably at this point especially later in the game where turns four and five you probably maybe only have one or two claim tokens left on your model so not that much bookkeeping but still with sometimes uh, being such a tight time schedule in a tournament that uh you know with the extra bookkeeping that just adds more time onto this so that's my one concern with this one not even gameplay wise but time wise so i mean maybe my my fears will be unjust, but that's my one fear with this one. Uh, after kind of talking it out again, I, I do like this one, um, especially since uh, I, I like to play summoners, more incidental summoners, as opposed to like a, a Cry or cry 2 or a Dreamer. Um, I think, yeah, summoning and base contact with your enemies will be very helpful in this one to keep them from scoring. I also like the fact, too, that what you said before about now Manos or Desper or Dreamer 2 or Solurids or First Mate, they the can't go mate. and scroll all your points.
3: So I don't know what I missed as I, as I cut out there, but the point I was trying to make <laughs> with Ivan
1: <laughs> was
3: I, even, even in this situation, Ivan too, he can bring his, his upgrade to summon in the Deva. In, in place with people. So you can use that to preemptively try and deny scoring off of your, off your opponent.
2: And clingy Davis who would have thought they would be so great. I mean, they've, they've always been
3: amazing, but yeah, they've I, always been amazing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think, uh, before if we almost getting close, but just my overall opinion on this is that there is much more variety than at least at the initial on look with these strategies before we get to schemes, because I think the schemes weigh heavy one way um, that brings me joy. I think there's a very good variety in games that I can enjoy these for a long time.
0: Well, as a person who likes to play the game hard mode and play Euripides and Lucius exclusively, (laughs) um, all of these look pretty great for both crews. Honestly, I think they're going to both be pretty viable in these
2: Well, you have titles, too, so you can switch.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. But, I mean, we all know how bad Lucius One can be. Um, But in Guard the Stash, you can move your whole crew from one stash to another stash with one Master Activation. Uh, So I want to try that, at least. Uh, Probably just keep losing, but we'll see.
3: One one point I want to... uh bring up just it's just a random errant thought back on cursed objects so you can take the interact action toss that uh the curse off of you how does that work with with nelly taking control of people's interacts if if they were to try and interact near one of her models could she just say no you're just gonna drop a scheme marker instead
0: well it's still ch- the person who's enemy to the model does not change you are controlling yeah, yeah. it yeah
3: yeah, I'm saying you're, instead of having them toss the curse off, you just tell them to do a different function of the interact action, like drop a scheme marker.
2: That would be interesting specifically because this uh, interact that's for the strategy mm-hmm. is ignoring model's engagement range. Right. So if you are engaged and normally wouldn't be able to do this, but you could do that action, mm-hmm. so you try to do that, can she switch it to a scheme marker instead of tossing it over? I know
3: very little about guild and, and, and Nelly, but I just know that like they have that ability and it's something I'd probably have to look into more, but I'm kind of curious how that would, uh, how that might affect that strategy. If at all.
2: Yeah, let us know for anyone who's smarter than us. Let us know
3: <laughs> all the Nelly players out there. Explain it to me. Yeah. I'm just an amateur so far. So don't ask me. uh
0: Anything else on the strategies guys Fiends yeah overall for another, your factions or
3: another another quick note on cursed objects any any actions that allow you to um on your friends have them take like non charge general actions um just going back to Shtuk, because he's he's great for examples like this um He can make his models, you know, like move, gain shield, and whatnot, but then he takes a non-charge general action. So you can make them walk or focus, whatever. You could, in theory, have your people jump forward and then just toss off their curse. So now they've removed their curse, and now they're able to, once they activate, start punching things and kill it. And
2: that's pretty neat. Oh, I think we also missed the fact that. This just says straight up, well, I know we did mention it with Flicker, but burning and poison, which would happen during the end phase, I believe also happens before scoring. Yep. So if your model is killed because of those events, your opponent could still, I think, discard the token.
3: Yeah, so that's that's a bit of a benefit to like condition crews as well.
2: But yeah, I think uh, definitely want to dive into these as soon as possible and get like 10 games in on each of these, if I could. I appreciate
3: I appreciate that there seems to be a bit of nuance to each of them um, in just how certain little things like that can interact um, even mm-hmm. even between like guard the stash and covert operation like they're conceptually they're pretty similar in the sense that like it's just here's some markers and you need to have people buy them to score points like I feel like the way that you're gonna like go about the actual like strategy of trying to score them has to has to be different like the way we discuss them and the things you're looking to do were entirely different.
1: Yeah, uh, going off a high take here. So, going through and listening to everyone of us talking on this, I'm thinking that it seems like the guard, the stash, and covert operation will seem to have more of a staleness to them as this goes on, because you could have um, a lot of models maybe just kind of standing around. A little bit too much as they try to gain the guard the stash covert operation markers so that's kind of my hot take down the line is that those two are the ones that are gonna get the stale the fastest whereas Curse object and carve the path I think have as Zach said more nuance to them and will have uh, more legs to them as the GG3 uh, goes on down the line six eight ten months from now
3: uh, on that, on that point, I, while I can see the point you're making, I think that's incredibly dependent on the scheme pool. And it goes back to my points on curating where I feel like if you make a interesting enough scheme pool, um, whether, whether or not the, the, the schemes in this packet are capable of providing this or not, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, but I feel like if you have an engaging enough scheme pool where it requires you to step outside of those bounds of just standing around, waiting to score points around the markers, I think that could help alleviate some of that staleness that you're concerned about.
2: And then trade. I'm going to go back to that. Like, take a little bit of time thinking about putting terrain out on boards because with knowing that certain things have to be in certain places, dynamic terrain, which can separate and divide more, can also create a lot of different gameplay. Or having one half inch a bunch of severe terrain. So it's really hard to get through. So you have to think about it and maybe switch what you're taking. I mean, so, hell, yeah.
3: like, the two in, the two markers in the middle are eight inches away from each other. Throw a wall in between like, them. Like, there's so many different things, to your point about terrain, that you could really do to just try and muck it up. So it's not just one big, like square of markers where everything's happening. You have things that require you to actually think about how you're moving and positioning.
1: See, Zach, you're being way too reasonable. This is hot takes. No reasonableness <laughs> is allowed. Hot takes only.
3: Okay, uh, GG3 sucks. We should go back to GG2 for another two years. That's what I'm looking mm, for.
1: Yeah, wow.
2: yeah. Burn a fire. Uh, schemes. <laughs> Let's get to these. Uh, there's five new ones and a couple things we should mention about two others. Um, sure. Let's let's get to some schemes uh which are I guess I'll say we have Breakthrough Again, Vendetta, Assassinate, Leave Your Mark, Sabotage, which are all repeats. And we also have Hidden Martyrs and Catch and Release, which we've seen before, which now have a new clause in them, which is uh at the end of the game if exactly one of the chosen models is engaged by of basically has more health than action and hasn't been replaced with a model of higher cost. Both of them, you can no longer replace the model with something better. So you're taking uh, a low-cost effigy, and now it's a uh, big beater. Emissary. Emissary, thank you. You can't do that with that model to keep it counting. Which I kind of wish they would have done that with Vendetta. I don't see that in there. Oh, no, it is. It's unvetted Vendetta
1: as well. Yeah. Or uh, changing your Gorar back into your emissary for <laughs> uh, for hidden martyrs and stuff like that because I've never done that before. I should also note, this is the first scheme pool that does
3: not have uh, claim jump. It was replaced by leave your mark this time. Hmm. It's that's interesting.
2: Uh, but if we, oh, and spread out is uh, in there again as well with the old ones so far very heavy on the scheming side of things. We only have Vendetta and Assassinate that are really killy. Hidden Barters is a kill, but you want to be killed, so um, yeah, overall heavier on scheming than, than killing. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is good, especially since uh, when we talked earlier about the strategies, two of them are uh, one's strictly to kill to score, and the other one is kill to keep your opponent from scoring so i think the, uh, going heavy on schemes it helps counteract the guard the stash and and uh, the other one now that has slipped my mind i'll
3: say for like, like yeah guard the stash and uh covert operation i think are both going to have a potential to get tar pity and real fighty <laughs> just around those markers because they both dictate where fights should be um so having a much more scheme oriented pool does kind of help
1: balance that out a tad and, and except for leave your mark on the scheme ones, they're all, you need to spread, spread them out to uh, score your points.
3: Well, we should oh, probably move on to the new ones then.
1: Well, I did want to briefly pause and say that
0: Lucius Matheson cried a, a beautiful tear of joy when he saw this packet because <laughs> leave your mark is really exactly what he wants in the pool because... <laughs> It's one of the few things that he does that nobody else can do is literally prevent you from dropping a scheme marker in one specific place. <laughs> so I uh, was very happy to see that.
1: That uh, so what? So Lucius is OP. They yeah, he can stop in the pool. you
2: from dropping it there. But if you have Tannenbaum or a few Outcast models, you can drop one outside and then push it into place. Hmm. Okay. That's to ruin fair. your bubble.
3: He's trying to have himself a moment here. Don't take I care know? Of him.
2: I've lost to his Lucius probably more than anyone, which is not often, but I have. Uh, so I, I don't like his Lucius.
0: I try to at least make you annoyed as much as possible before I die. So
2: yeah. So the, the new schemes. The let's go to the first one, which you probably should never take with carve the path. It's called load them up. Uh, At the beginning of the game, secretly choose a type of marker. So this can even be scheme marker. Uh, It can be corpse marker, pyre marker, shadow marker, any type of marker. And then reveal at the end of turn if there are six or more of the chosen markers on the opposing player's table half that are not within one inch of each other to gain a victory point. You don't have to remove them. You just have to uh, have them there and reveal if that's your chosen marker type. The end point is at the end of the game if there are three or more of those chosen markers within three inches of either leader, yours or the opponent's, you gain a victory point.
3: So, Titania
2: takes this every time, yeah? As long or as Car of the Path side is. I was going to say, yeah. Car of the Path screws it over, so I don't know. Yeah. I mean,
3: you <laughs> could you could just <laughs> shove them in your opponent's backfield. So, I mean, do they really want to be, you know, pushing them diagonally across their their backfield, trying to eat those instead of pushing them across your board?
0: Well, the one thing about Titania is all of her underbrush that drops at the start of the game anyway, it has to be on her side of the board, so you would kind of be giving your opponent that for free unless you're...
1: No, you can put them anywhere on the board, even in your your opponent's deployment zone. They just have to be two inches apart.
3: I'm glad you corrected me. <laughs> yeah, he, he's dropped those things right in my face in my deployment zone before
1: yeah Fair enough. The, the one thing is uh now we how will you you can use ski markers so do enemy and friendly ski markers count as the same marker like they do in research they did in research missions so if your enemy starts placing ski markers on their table I have and then you drop a bunch of your ski markers do their markers and your markers count as one type I would say yes I would say I yes, so. to with the way they ruled research mission, but something to think about and maybe mention it with your opponent before uh, the start of the game of load them up in the pool.
2: Yeah, that's it. Like that, a big scheme markers are the way that any crew can do this, but I think it still leans towards your Euripides, one, uh, who might drop 30 ice pillars on the opposing side of the board. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but...
3: this, is, this is definitely, <laughs> yeah, between that... Uh... Raspy will like it. Sonya 2 is going to like it. Karis is going li- to Anybody who can just spam a sort of marker all over the place is going to absolutely adore this. I, I
0: don't I'll know. actually
2: give yeah, it. okay because they have to not be within one inch of each other. So even McCabe and his wonderful hucksters would have a harder time because he couldn't just move one huckster across and go false claim six times. Mm-hmm. They have to spread out. Yep. A smidge. Yeah, a smidge. <laughs> they could still do it twice and get four markers down. The, not being actually, if I've mapped it out, you might be able to get that many.
1: <laughs> the wheels are turning. The wheels are turning.
3: Either way, uh, I, I I very much think this is effectively the the replacement for um, research mission mm-hmm. in in the pool, and I like this one a lot more than research mission just because research mission was so brain dead for the first half of it. In the second half, of it was effectively a win more if you're going to be getting it anyways. So right. in the case of this, it requires some, I guess, dedicated effort for you to actually score it. Um, it, it might be AP intensive, but it really kind of depends. There are some crews Mei that can Fang legit. Can just, yeah, yeah, like with Scrabble. There, there's some crews that can legitimately just spam the board with markers, and it's not a big deal.
2: And like for Mei you're doing it as part of your normal thing, so you're not even Mm -hmm. spending AP, you're just dropping that scrap.
3: Exactly. So this is very much one of those strategies, I mean strategies, one of those schemes rather, that uh, it's going to benefit those marker crews pretty considerably. So again, if this does get ended up added into a uh, carve the the path pool, it's god it's it's such it's such a conflicting thing
2: <laughs> yep, so that's what diet. i'm hearing james is put it in every one of your carve the path uh strats it has to have loads them exactly. up and honestly
3: in, in the second half it isn't all that bad assuming that there's an a leader alive for it but i think assuming your leader is alive at the end it would not be difficult for you to get whatever marker that you've chosen by your master um mm i like this I like the scheme I think it's at least for now I think it seems like a pretty pretty cool addition
1: um yeah and that that also lends itself to uh crew knowledge too because if you pick this up and they have a ton of scheme marker removal in their crew then you're you're kind of screwed mm-hmm. yeah, so like uh if you see the uh I don't know the uh Emissary from the Bayou and your opponent's crew, do not take this scheme. Or just Bayou in general.
3: I was yeah. about to say, yeah, Bay- Bayou is definitely a faction you might want to avoid bringing this scheme against because of their just overabundance of, uh, of, mar- of marker removal. Uh, you should listen to our last episode if you haven't yet. Um, we already went over all this. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, so speaking of that, listen to the last episode. You'll know what not to take for load them up
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll know which factions are good at ruining all your plans for this.
1: I'm guessing Neverborn wasn't high on that list.
0: No, we got in that somewhere, though. I don't remember where. Yeah. So he wants um,
2: to go over the next one.
1: Uh, this one also oh.
0: looks a little confusing, but yeah, go Public
1: ahead. Public demonstration. At the beginning of the game, secretly choose three or more, and that's important, three or more models cost seven or less that don't add up to that have a combined cost of eighteen or less. At the revealing at the end of the turn, if any two of those chosen models are within three inches in line of sight of an enemy master or henchman of a higher cost, and neither chosen model has been replaced with a model of higher cost, gain a VP. Ending one. Uh at the end of the game, if any one of the chosen models are within one inch in line of sight of an enemy master or henchman of a higher cost, and it hasn't been replaced with a model of higher cost, gain a VP. So uh we've had other schemes that are along the same lines um definitely uh think if you were thinking about this um you wanted to be careful on what strategy it's uh matched up with but uh definitely um a uh low cost model uh scheme i mean and again, you could have four models that add up to eighteen or less and uh really uh, mess with your opponent but uh yeah that's very crew dependence that's you know not that hot of a take right there but i'm gonna say all dependent.
2: steamer acteds and just rush them at and a, a henchman <laughs>
1: see
2: i kind of hate this scheme.
3: <laughs> um all right. so so I, I that's think not a
1: hot take you either you hate it or you love <laughs> it hot takes
3: all right i i hate it with with every every inch of marrow within my bones um the reason why i dislike this one other than the fact that i think it's needlessly complicated um to me it is literally just catch and release with extra steps as far as i'm concerned it's the exact same scheme in total conceptual like the, the conceptually standing you are doing effectively the same thing and so to my point earlier about how I felt um, leave your mark and claim jump in the same pool back in GG one was bad. I think having catch and release and this in the same pool is similarly bad. And I feel like it makes curating your pools again, even more important because I think putting these two schemes in the same pool is fucking dumb. Because what you are doing is too similar to where it's it's one of those easy things where if you have the means of doing this sort of strat this shit this one of these schemes, you could very easily set yourself up to just score both both of them at the same time, right?
2: Like I'm taking three Tengu and two Yeah. <laughs> One of those Tengu is going to be both my catch and release and public demonstration target, and it's going to score both
1: those and then run away. It's fucking dumb. (laughs) Make sure you do it to Zach when you do it. Oh, I will
2: (laughs) do it to Zach on purpose. So,
3: So, like, in my opinion, if a pool has these two schemes in it, it is automatically a bad pool. Considering, you know, there's only five schemes in a pool to begin with, that is a large percentage of the pool is, is taken up by two things that are effectively you doing the exact same thing for each of them. It's It, it correlates far too, too directly with each other, and it's far too easy for you to just score two points by just doing the same thing, just by doing one thing. And that is my beef with this scheme. If it was in here and catch... <laughs> Yeah, uh, to go with. I would it... still think it's a bit overly complicated, but I think having them both in here is why I have issues with it.
2: I agree, even though we—I lost you for a second there.
3: Yeah, I think we gotcha.
0: yeah, you got I was question. gonna disagree just because the models scoring it, at least on paper, seem like they should be a completely different set of models, but. I think your point is probably accurate. Where if you're hiding it in a swarm of like four models that can all be viable, uh, then yeah, that can. It's just clear that up. I,
3: I used to score, and I will continue to score catch and release with a again all the fucking time. <laughs> now I can just throw both of them in there and score two points, and then you, like it's. And they're both, those are both four-point models. Like, it's, it's so... At that, that's yeah, not it's even... the same
2: thing with what I was saying with the Tengu. Just, you can keep them completely out of harm's way and then until the point where you're going to score the point for both of those. Uh, especially if I'm taking, like, Yoko 2 and I can just guarantee last activation with multiple models.
0: Well, I agree with you guys there, but Lucius has changelings now, and so for that reason, <laughs> I'm going to completely disagree with you. This is a totally valid scheme. And the Lucius is now number
3: one. <laughs> I mean, you're you're just getting onto the onto the Kruligan train that I've been playing on for the last like two
0: years. You're joining
2: that's, in with the jank. And, and that's,
3: that's fine. fine. Yeah. The fact the fact that you know you get to enjoy that with me, I I'm I'm very happy for you. Um,
0: well, Lu- Lucius has been on the slow bus long enough that I think you would appreciate a nice train ride. So
3: And and ju- just the, just a note, so it's it does say, um, so what? If any two of the chosen models are within three inches in line of sight of an enemy Master or henchman of higher cost. So, is that an individual? Do they both need to be within that range of a single master or henchman, or can they be within that range of of a master and a henchman? Hmm.
1: That's
3: an interesting sticking point.
0: Yeah. that's something we
2: be something to find out. Yeah, because if I could be have one next to the henchman and one next to the master, that even makes it easier to pull that yeah, off. Yeah,
3: yeah, because it, it does. Because if any two are Within three in line of side of an enemy master or henchman. Yeah, it, it doesn't specify that they need to be next to the same one. They just, in order to qualify, they each need to be within three inches of an enemy master or henchman.
0: Yeah, that's so. in English for you. Well, if they yeah. did that FAQ that to make it so they both have to be the same one, that would at least make it a little trickier.
3: Well, yeah, it'd be a little bit trickier. But honestly, in my opinion, this this makes the doing it with two krulligans even easier. Because then I can I, I can toss them off on different people, and then it's they're not both threatened by the crazy
2: master or whatever. Like
3: either way. Well, we, I think we're yes. falling
2: down the pit trap of we we uh, think public demonstration is too much like catch and release. And that may segue us into another type of trap, which is set the trap. (laughs) Ooh, like what you did there. I tried to get a dad joke. It didn't work, but... uh... It's a trap! (laughs) Set the trap. Another one that's in here. Uh, Reveal. At the end of the turn, you may choose any number of friendly scheme markers in play. If there are at least three enemy models within two inches of any chosen scheme markers you may remove all chosen scheme markers to gain one victory point. The end point is at the end of the game, if at least one enemy master or henchman is within two inches of a friendly scheme marker and has half its maximum health or less, you may remove one such scheme marker to gain one victory point. If there's no enemy master or henchman in play, which I like this part of it because <laughs> you don't have to keep them around, gain one victory point. It almost rewards
1: you for making sure you also assassinate them. Yeah, very, very similar to detonate charges. Again, crews that pump out a bunch of scheme markers are going to love this. Ones that don't are going to avoid it. See, I don't actually agree there. Um, I think it's very, it's
3: very uh, enemy crew dependent and board and like strategy dependent, because. All you need is one scheme marker, technically, to score the first half of that point. Um, you can have one scheme marker within range of three enemies to score, or you can have three scheme markers, each within the range of three different enemies, to score that way too. So I think there, I think this is this is what I actually really like a lot. And I think there's really clever ways that you can do this, and if this is in the pool your opponent has to be really particular about how they try and place their models. They have to be really weary of scheme markers. And if this is, if, if this is in a pool where you're playing like, um,
1: guard, guard the, the
3: stash. stash, yeah, guard the stash. Exactly. This is one of those ones where you're going to be, you're going to have to be extremely mindful of where those scheme markers are being dropped.
0: So it sounds like another perfect malicious scheme. I'm just kind of building like the perfect uh, pool for myself for later on. I need to play the
3: tournaments. I, I do I do think this one skirts ever so slightly in similarity with spread them out. However, because of the ability and variance within how you can score that first half, I don't think it's 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 not like it's not like a carbon copy stupid situation where yeah. it's you're doing and the same
1: also, thing. Also too, it's not uh, doesn't matter where in the board; doesn't have to be on the on your half or your enemy's half. It's anywhere on the board, uh, you can get these uh, points.
2: And I did like to. Say, it,
1: it might have
2: a little overlap with Assassinate because that second part, uh, as long as you kill the enemy master henchman, becomes way easier.
3: <laughs> yeah. So, like that, that. That again. Like I keep on bringing up pool curation. It's points like that that people. I feel I need to be need to be extremely like mindful of because yeah, the second half of that and the second half of assassinate
2: are the same thing.
3: It's are literally the same thing. Well, close.
2: If you have a henchman alive, still, they wouldn't get the second part of set the trap, but right. There are some even crews I've seen without henchmen in them. So, Mm -hmm.
3: yeah. So that is, that's just one of those things where you like, depending on how it goes, you, you should at least have that in mind when you're building your pools To just keep that interaction in mind to try to either avoid it or or whatever you feel is necessary. But I think that's something people should be mindful of.
0: Yeah, just one last thing. This is also one of the schemes where having multiple masters actually kind of benefits you. Because you have to kill all of the enemy masters in order to block the second point, right? So...
2: Yep. Well, yeah, you can still do the Ski Marker part, the original part. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They just built in a way that you could still score if you've killed the opponent's master.
3: And mind you, like, you score the, the, the second half um, by having it by one of the, uh, the henchmen or master. So if you bring a large number of those that could still backfire you. So, sure, mm. you're, ke- you're keeping them from scoring by killing all of them, but they could still score because you're giving them options mm-hmm. to drop the marker near.
2: I, I think I think they did smart, was the fact that they gave that uh, no enemy match attachment to play for that, because the first part of that is they have to be at half health or less, so if you accidentally get too severe so on a double neg, and, ha- and like, well, I can't choose anything else, I guess I killed that master... It doesn't lock you out from scoring it. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, like, nice. I
3: like this scheme much, much more than the last one. I think this one is pretty great.
0: Okay. Well, the next one is my favorite, <laughs> at least in title. And uh, it's also kind of simple, but it's a pretty wacky one. It's in your face.
3: In your face. I
0: feel like you have to say it like that every time
3: you declare it. Uh...
0: You gotta
1: throw up
3: your... your, 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 You gotta throw your hands forward and just be super aggressive.
1: Mm -hmm. So the reveal
0: is, at the end of the turn, if an enemy non-leader cost eight or more was killed within three inches of any leader this turn, you get a point. In the end, is at the end of the game, if the highest cost or tied for non-master model you hired, this game is in the opposing, opposing player's deployment zone, gain a point. So this is kind of my hot take is that, that this is the definition of a win more strategy am I off base here? no
3: I, I 100% agree with you <laughs> so the and mainly is because the fir, so the first half of the scheme you're headhunting a cost eight or more model with
2: which, your master you're taking a beater master yeah. and killing something
3: pro- probably yeah mm-hmm. um, and if you succeed if you succeed you're effectively denying your opponent the second half of the scheme
2: if they mm. took it
3: if they took it yes mm-hmm. um so just in that in that situation you're doing that but yeah it is very much win more because the second half of it requires so yeah so at the end of the game the highest cost or tied for non-master model you hired this game is in the opposing player's deployment zone so this is different from how like let them bleed was set up where that was just the highest costed model that your opponent, you know, like had in play at the time. So if yeah. your if your most expensive stuff died, that that designation would go down to the next highest. That doesn't work in this situation. So you're either going to need the headhunt with Achilles Master and then have your your other expensive model go run and, you know, dirtle off in your opponent's deployment zone, or you're gonna have to bring multiple expensive models to try and set that up for yourself like an what? example if you're playing a Stuck list you would bring molly not molly anna and val they're both 10 stone models you could effectively go for for the first half of it with val and then if she survives she can just score the second half or you can have a backup and run you know she anna. wouldn't
2: survive she dies
3: she, she, yeah she she typically
2: dies after she does work and then finally dies but she yeah. does work
3: yeah, so, so in that situation, you would need to bring Anna as well to give yourself the backup to score the second half. Otherwise, you're scoring one point maybe, and then it's dead. Um, so, yeah.
1: Well, also that works in reverse too. If you're bringing, like you said, Von Stuck, and you're throwing Val into their crew, well, now you have to be careful that the Val doesn't get killed by their leader because if they have it, then you just put your an eight stone or higher model near their leader. They kill it. Yep. Now they score their first point uh-huh. and maybe they don't, they're not putting their high point model at risk to try and get that first point. So, you know, or uh cry with a Kirio. that's an mm-hmm. eight point model and everyone likes that a Kirio missile. Well, now you throw it in there. If it's near their leader, you you could be throwing them the first point of in your face, uh, real easy. So kind of, that alpha bomb or uh, mature nefs, you like to throw those up in there with Nakima or Nakima one. So it kind of yet if in your faces in your pool and you were playing that alpha crew with eight soulstone or higher models that you like to throw up the board, you got to be careful with that because you could be throwing your uh, opponent that first point very
2: easily. I think this is also one of the only schemes that you can that in here that you can effectively say you cannot take this scheme period to your opponent and that is if you take only models seven cost or less you can say you cannot take that scheme yep because you can't score it yep you know well at least you can't score you can't score one actually the first half of it they could still technically score the second half
3: with with the points that you made though i actually feel like this is a surprisingly and even though it almost reads like you'd be alphaing. I think it's actually an anti-alpha strike scheme.
2: I'd love to take Asami because I never hire anything above an Obsidian uh, Oni, which is seven points, and I can summon in
1: my Jorogumo. <laughs> oh, I like it. Well, it doesn't say that they have to be on the board at the beginning of the game. So if you summon your Jorogumo and they kill it near their leader or your leader, they can still score that first point. That is true.
2: Oh, that is well, true. So I'd have to. I, I, I can still only bomb for strategies, seven. though.
1: Not this, for schemes. No. Yep. Nope. Yep. This has been eight pointer cost at higher model killed within three inches of any leader. Yes. Yeah, so I guess even, I'm just summoning more obsidian oni.
3: Yeah, because if you, cause even if you, like if you flicker bomb yourself, you'll actually give them the point.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah, and that and that accounts for your leader too. So if they kill it near your leader.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm still sick of my guns. I'm going to try this once with Asami and never take anything above 7. I'm going to summon do double Akaname. Double Akaname all the time. Poison bomb in the face.
1: All <laughs> those Tengu running around to get public demonstration. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, well, the last one is secret Meetup, and it is actually pretty simple, even though it doesn't really read that way. I'll never take yeah. it. <laughs> well, at the beginning of the game... Pick a friendly non-master, and enemy non-master, and a terrain piece, not within three of your deployment. At the end of the turn for the reveal, if all those three things are within three of each other, you get a point. For The end point, if there are two friendly scheme markers based with the terrain piece, you get a point.
3: So I do think there is a time when you take this. Even though, like, I, I, I have always stated that I... To get the end point? No, 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 no. One <laughs> second. So, so I hate schemes where you have to name out specific models. And in this case, you're naming one of yours, one of theirs, and a location. It's, it's rough. However, I think that the pools or the strategies actually help make this scorable. And what I mean by that, specifically in Guard the Stash and in covert operation where they dictate where the fights are often going to be. If you have a large terrain piece,
2: like a giant forest.
3: Yeah. If you have a giant forest or shit, if you have a big old patch of like, like severe terrain near the center of the board, and then you choose one of their big tanky models that you know is going to run up into the middle of the board, because that's where it makes sense for it to go. Right. And so you're choosing, you're choosing these after deployment, Right. Yeah, Yeah.
1: I was uh, I was going to
3: bring that up. So that's that's where that comes in. You're choosing these after deployment so you can get an idea where you think that model is going to go for to like do its shit. You could set it up where it's like, okay, I got my model. You got yours. You're going to run it up into this area. There's this big old splotch of of severe terrain by these by these markers because we we were smart and decided, you know, put things up there to make it interesting. So it's not just a big open area. And suddenly now you've take you it's required a bit of thought and a bit of like intuition, but I think it's not out of the realm of possibility that you could accurately gauge whether or not that model is going to go to that rough area and you would be able to set it up. And then afterwards this I think the second half of this scheme is super easy. I think it's it's an almost like auto succeed in many in many instances. As long just, as
2: you pick a large terrain piece.
3: Yeah, and if, you're, if your board is set up properly with enough terrain, I, I think there's, there's going to be plenty of
1: that. I mean, and it's like the Search the Ruins, right? That was an old scheme. Yeah. For the, yeah, for that point. Now, I, I agree that 99% of the time this is in the pool, I will never take it. But you do have the surprise factor because I mm-hmm. think that this will be a uh, – or I should say this is my hot take that a lot of people will agree that this is something that they're not going to take. So you can get that surprise factor, that one time where, uh, like I said, big piece of severe terrain or a big building because they're not thinking, oh, my model's near the building, and you're running another model on the other side that you could have this, and we're still within three inches of the same piece of terrain. You could get the surprise factor. And the whole thing where you now pick secret uh, train and or models after deployment I think helps the scheme out more so than if it was in GG2. So <laughs> a – hardly ever never ever will i take this but i might take it just to surprise you
3: like it's it's it's, it's another one of those things where like it's not runic binding but it's still i've difficult. yeah i've seen runic binding scored once um but yeah i think this is a place where like if you got lures or if you got if you got particularly like mobile models with like leap or, or secret passes or something you could easily not easily this is, is, is very very board dependent but if the board allows for it and if the strategy allows for it
2: i think okay you could pull i'll say it off. if i'm a dirty rezzer and i can play Stuok 2 who will drop his ski marker which will then, then give the characteristic to my model to then place my model near your model i might take it but it's because <laughs> i'm a dirty rezzer with a stupid trick
3: I mean, there, there's plenty of other tricks that can do it too. There's lots of things that can move models. Um, there's lots yeah. of things with lures, and I mean, obeys. Like, yeah, there, there's obeys. Yeah, I mean, like I think like in, in explorers, like you know, I think uh, Eva Havenhand will absolutely love this because assuming that you can set it up, where like, you know, your opponent's going to bring this big beater up into the center. You just have Eva go late and just teleport her way up next to one of those markers because she wants to be there to start, you know, claiming the markers to begin with. Well, you're also now within range. You're now scoring a, another point. So, so I'm, not, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and say it is a good scheme. I think it is. it is far too niche in the requirements necessary for it to even be considerable. But I don't think it's like the worst thing to have ever existed.
1: And since you're going to main Asami through this whole GG3 <laughs> season, she can use her hair to pull the model where it needs to be.
2: I mean, I'm going to go back to my uh, as- uh, Yoko 2 bringing in Asami as my second master. That oh, list was just... I hate that list. You need to be somewhere, you're never going to be there. I've even stopped people who <laughs> didn't think about it. And they didn't bring anything with uh, planted roots or anything. And I went, nope, you don't even score the first part of Corrupted Ley Lines. <laughs> Which, also, side note, uh, the good thing about, it's going back to the strategies, I just thought of it because of this, um, in Covert Operations, you can't actually claim anything first turn. So you mm-hmm. can't, unlike Ley Lines, where you can kind of mm-hmm. get up on a marker, so you have a little more time, you can't score anything till and claim it until that second turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's a good call-out. Yeah, I didn't even notice that. Mm-hmm. So running up there first turn and being like, Oh, wait, I still can't claim it. Because it doesn't that, say until the second
1: turn. That that uh, goes for cursed objects. You kill a model that has a curse token on it. That token, I would say, goes away and you lost a chance to uh, Yeah, it would, it would it. go
2: to a nearest model that was available on their team. Okay. Because they don't disappear unless you choose to discard it. But you left yourself an easy model possibly to kill that's yep. now a harder model. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, we've gone through everything,
0: and I guess my my overall hot take is kind of a fluffy one, but I'm really happy with these with this GG. I think it's kind of what we wanted, where there's a lot of really different strategies, especially since GG two is a lot of recycled ones. Um, we got a good variety. Almost half of the schemes are new, uh, or maybe improved versions of the older ones. Uh, and I'm definitely really excited to play this. What do you guys think?
2: Yes, oh, I'm, definitely I'm very ready. Ready to go on this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'll say overall, I have a feeling we'll see a lot more maybe swarmy type list. Be- just because a lot of these schemes are... Uh, the schemes themselves are AP intensive more, I think, than some of the others. Than just mm-hmm. show up somewhere. So I'd like to see, hopefully it breeds some more lower cost models getting some attention and getting some play
3: Mm -hmm. absolutely i very much like the packet um despite all my my bitching (laughs) uh like specifically i I like the strategies a lot um at least from an initial read standpoint Mm. um i do think i do have some trepidations with some of the new uh new uh, schemes and a lot of that mostly comes down to a uh, a pool a, a pooling standpoint you know just curating your pools i think i think it's going to be necessary for people to put more thought into their pools particularly for competitive environments i don't think you can get away with just randomizing it and putting it out um mm-hmm. like some people have in the past i think this is one of those things where you should probably look at your pools, look at the things that people are actually going to be doing to score these schemes and just try and make sure there isn't too much action overlap between them and each other and the the strategies.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think that's something
3: TOs, well, at least I
0: personally, I try to, even if I do randomize to start, I try to curate my pools. So I don't think that's anything too crazy. Uh, as far as expectations on us, but we will see.
1: Yeah, I guess we'll have our first uh, big uh, reveal on this because uh, with this packet came out, the Gen Con pools came out, so uh, I'm sure we'll hear a lot from uh, the Gen Con, how it goes, good, bad, ugly, but uh, I'm feeling yes, that... Uh,
2: first big test. I lo- I'm waiting to hear it. Oh, I'm yep. looking forward to it.
1: Uh, But I I think overall, um, you know, first impression uh, looks good. Um, I like the fact that we did get four new strategies. Nothing was repeated. So that is going to really help freshen it up. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to get some games in with this. And uh, just like any time a GG comes out, it really freshens up the game. Um, We'll be interesting to see if this is now going to be the new GG uh, release uh, coming out two to three weeks before Gen Con um that's my i guess my one bad thing i don't like about it is if this is going to be the way it is that i did (laughs) like the fact that gg kind of freshened things up halfway through the year after gen con and now we're both getting the new gg and the new releases from gen con in a very short period of time you won't have that freshen up in the middle of the year so um but we'll see how it goes
3: it almost feels like they're using Gen Con to launch the new season.
1: Yeah, and un- completely understandable, too, because if also if they're thinking about the, the US USF Tour, and that uh, kicks off the Gen Con ends the season and Nova begins the next season, mm-hmm. and they're coming out with the new GG uh, near the end of the season and getting them next season, too. So that mm-hmm. kind of, uh, on the tournament circuit, if that's something you're interested in, that kind of brings it all together.
2: Mm hmm. I mean, uh, GG three point five might be great in March, <laughs> <laughs> but that's just me being super greedy. You be greedy. There's enough stuff that I, we can just start using everything because there's enough strategy, strategies and schemes that when you start getting bored, you can just be like, "Well, I'm doing all GG and all things," and then it gets really interesting. Oh yeah.
0: Yeah, the fact that that's in the app is really awesome because. Now T.O.'s really have a world of options, uh, which is always fun because G.G.'s do get a little stale, even though we all know Malfa is the best game in the world.
1: Yeah. Uh, Speaking of apps, call out to uh, D.Z. for getting the update already in the system the day that the G.G. came down. So I really appreciate all the work he does on the app. Yeah, Yeah, before I even
0: checked the app, it was updated. So Pretty awesome.
1: The, uh, the, the listeners
3: should keep an eye out for uh, our releases after this, though, because we do intend on going in and uh, doing more deep dives with these strategies and schemes, determining which uh, which factions are liking some of these more than others, which ones have particular standout keywords that are going to really enjoy some of these and, uh, and hopefully kind of get a grasp on... If all the big hitters from last gg are still the big hitters or if some of their some of their power has shifted some um with other keywords that may like how these
2: play out a bit more and we'll probably do it sooner rather than later so we might not have any idea what we're talking about yet
1: because it's (laughs) super early well i think james's hot take was lucius is op in this new gg
2: i mean it's what i heard he's he's gonna be a powerhouse
1: yep come on out swinging I played him enough when he was not
2: the greatest,
0: so I think I pretty much <laughs> just got to stick to it at this point.
1: Uh, go with what you know. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I won't go on a tangent on that, but uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anything else you guys want to to plug or anything for the end here? Check out the usual stuff in our in our show notes. We've got the blogs, the the YouTubes, the whatnots discord
2: yeah send us some messages uh and find us because we love actually talking to people and i know zach bugs us all the time to talk more malifo <laughs> so it'd be great to have someone else to have zach talk to
3: yeah I, I have a tendency to to hop in the discord voice and then not talk to anybody when i go on my my daily walk so if anybody wants to just bullshit malifo with me by all means swing on into the discord i'm usually there
1: Tell us how we're right or, more importantly, tell us how we're wrong. That will get the conversation flowing. Yeah, I'd love
0: to be told I'm wrong. Uh,
1: So, yeah. Uh,
3: Thanks for listening, everybody, and see you again soon. Adios. Peace.